Yeah. I guess I don't need to listen to my voice anymore. I know. I just put these on because you had them on. Like, yeah. I just don't even need the headphones at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's fine, I guess. It just feels like a studio thing to do. Right. Like, I just feel like more of a radio host if I have headphones on. Yeah, totally. Even though I just checked and it, I can't even hear my vocals through the headphones. Like, <laughs> so they're literally just serving no purpose whatsoever. Are you serious? Yeah. That's, just... that's hilarious. If I want to just blast myself, I can, like... I can just turn my headphones on so loud and hardly ever hear you or hardly even hear you. So you're just going to be listening to you. Yeah. That was very narcissistic <laughs> for me. Oh, my S's are off. Let me just like work this a little bit. No, no, that's cool. I'm going to just keep it on my head. Okay. Yeah, it's good. Boom. Yeah. That feels right. Um, so I guess, so Nick tells me he wants me to do intros more for my podcast instead of just, uh, that's a good idea. Sliding in, so uh, I'm here with my uh, here with my good friend Ryan Burns. Hey, Ryan, thanks for joining the program. Thanks for having me, Austin. <laughs> this episode of Numero Chair is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, <laughs> the world's longest running online astronomy degree program. <laughs> Visit astronomy.swin.edu for more information. Am I gonna have to edit that or? <laughs> no, that's the real one. All right, I hope that's they... the real website. No, I just I, are they actually our sponsor? <laughs> no. Um, I feel like um, you're a little happy because I initially opened a beer bottle that had shattered glass fall into it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was going to be drinking this one beer the entire program. And I think both of us would have been thinking about how there's probably glass in the bottle. And I probably could have died. Yeah. Like, because glass would have been slitting my uh, my throat as we, as we continued this program just slowly. Yeah. I didn't want to seem like I was judging you for drinking, <laughs> but I didn't want to see you drink glass <laughs> so i'm happy that you chose a different i don't want to be the lame dad and be like kids don't drink glass yeah. I, I and i don't really want to support um alcohol so i wanted to say like hey man i'll just buy you another one but then i was like oh i don't know if i actually want to buy him another one. <laughs> um so before we started we were talking about uh television programs that you didn't like the color of oh yeah and you, you specifically called out USA Network, which, mm -hmm. you know, shout out to USA. It seems like they're making strong programming now. Had some had some uh, Emmy noms this past season, but you had a you had a problem with them in the 90s, it seems. Yeah, um, I, I I wasn't able to really put my finger on it. And do people put their fingers on TV networks? Um, <laughs> I wasn't able to really like nail it down until I saw Monk. Mm. Do you remember that show? Yes. Uh, Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, it's unapologetically gray throughout. There's uh -huh. like no color grading, <laughs> and I think I think it was edited in I don't know Final Cut. I remember reading through a Final Cut manual mm. like a, many years ago before I did anything with video, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I yeah they had all these examples from from that show, mm. but I the colors are like so nasty to me but i found out that i could watch the show if i calibrate my monitor to be black and white um <laughs> so, so you that could have watched it as a black and white programming i yeah I, yeah i could have watched it back then but i don't know th there's just been a lot of tv shows and things over time that have, i don't know, i've judged them by the color grading or whatever the way the, the color <laughs> looks to me um well before i knew anything about that not that i'm like a you know pro colorist or anything but i we're here with colorist ryan burns <laughs> that's me um 
yeah, so I'm trying to think of exam- other examples. So you said, what did you say? You said Gilbert Gottfried's? Oh, uh, like Up All Night. <laughs> USA Up All Night. Like uh, when I was a kid, I was just allowed to do whatever I want. <laughs> and um, so I would just watch like, you know, as a, like a little kid, I would just watch USA Up All Night. And it would be like these, um, and like, I think Gilbert Gottfried would, um, I think I said Gilbert funny. Um, he would just host it and then there would be some like stupid show or scary show or something. And they had Tales from the Crypt. Basically everything from USA just looked really bad to me. So it, so Up All Night was a block of shows? Yeah, it was like, um, I don't know, just shows that I had no reason watching as a little kid that <laughs> I would watch. Like, yeah. And Gilbert Gottfried hosted a block of shows on USA. Oh, I feel like I'm getting into a possibly dangerous situation because I want to confirm this um, <laughs> using the power of the internet. Um, Gilbert Gottfried um, did something on some network <laughs> at one time. Was this pre-Aladdin or post-Aladdin? Ooh. I want to say it's pre-Aladdin. Okay. So. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, USA, I think, had game shows during the we're not going to do the game show podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> I initially had a game show podcast in mind, which is I think Ryan got nervous because I mentioned game shows. But I think USA had a game shows on during the day, right? Mm, I remember they had um, – when I was a kid, I'm pretty sure they had, like, like cartoons and stuff. Mm. Um, like, you could watch She-Ra or He-Man on USA. Mm, I'm okay. pretty sure that's where, where they lived. I have – I'm actually not sure that. Do you remember the show, the game show Supermarket Sweep? No. Tell me about it. Okay. So this was the show. I I had thought of it recently, and I showed my little sister, and I just was blown away by how 90s and absurd this show was. So it takes place in a supermarket, and there's, like, three contestants, and they, uh, they have some, like, supermarket trivia. Like, they ask about, like, canned goods, like the host. Okay. And, uh, and then they'll like have to go through the supermarket and find that in like a time limit. So it was like, it was targeted towards like stay at home moms who have like, you know, supermarket like experience, like, (laughs) because it is such a niche show that like, you don't get it unless you go grocery shopping a lot. Right. But it seems like for people who go grocery shopping a lot, this was like an exhilarating show. Oh man. (laughs) That sounds fun actually. Well, the end, they have like a shopping list. And they have to go through the store in like a minute and a half span and get everything on the shopping list. But like the they were experts because they knew which aisle to get what product and everything. Oh man, that's good. Like um, whenever I go to the store with Becca, she wants to go up and down every aisle. <laughs> like um, she just has this part of her personality that like she needs to do the serpentine motion. So I. <laughs> I don't know. We I just kind of do it now. And are you more into efficiency grocery shopping? Oh, uh, I don't want to claim that I'm efficient while grocery shopping at this point. I you, <laughs> um, so I'm still, even though I've been married for uh, almost eight years now, I'm still kind of in the bachelor shopping <laughs> phase of my life. So um, my first, like, if I want to go to the store, I usually want to buy um, eggs cheese orange juice um (laughs) milk and cereal and bread and that's like that's like what i want to get yeah 
And so I've been doing, oh my gosh. Oh dear. There's um, Irish dancing happening on Austin's computer. No, we're actually at an Irish step dancing uh, facility right now. We're just podcasting outside oh, of it. Right. Yeah, of <laughs> course. The great form, ladies. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just don't have um, like very good adult shopping habits mm. right now. I'm starting to shop at like Trader Joe's and Aldi because uh-huh. they're uh, significantly cheaper. But um, I don't know, man. Me and Matt have this like uh, long joke about Trader Joe's, how when we first saw it, we just imagined that <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's just one guy inside the store. Like you, <laughs> So this guy, Joe, goes into the shop in the morning. He like opens up shop. He takes a chair and he sits in the middle of the chair and he has like one item. <laughs> okay. And then throughout the day, people come and trade with Joe. Oh. So then when he closes up shop, he has his last item to start the trading with the next day. Oh, that's good. So that's like, and his slogan was, uh, trade a Joe's. I trade things. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So when I, I found out it's like a nice like grocery store. I was a little disappointed. <laughs> I think when I first heard of it, I imagined it being like, um, like derogatory towards First Nations peoples, <laughs> like, you know, like the guy with the headdress of feathers, yeah. and like, you go in there and, yeah, yeah, you know, Trader like, Joe's has been around since like the 1500s. Yeah, yeah, that like we also appropriated that <laughs> from uh, First Nation cultures. I'm big into fur trapper Joe's. <laughs> It's another one of my favorite supermarkets. <laughs> like, what, um, what's like the fur of baby seals called? Oh, is it pelt? I think pelt. So like, yeah, baby seal fur Jones. <laughs> Sorry, Numero Chair does not condone the uh, use of. That's not true. Baby seal. Oh, we're big supporters of oh, baby okay. seals. Actually, yeah, that's uh, right. no judgment. Was um. I feel like maybe you've talked about this or maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Was grocery shopping different in Germany, like a different experience? Oh, yeah. Um, Okay, I lived in Germany and uh, for three years. And grocery shopping, so we didn't have a car. uh, So we had bikes and baskets and stuff like that. Um, The grocery stores, the grocery stores that we had nearby were – uh, there was one called Reva, and uh-huh. there was another one Aldi, uh-huh. and and then there was this place that used to be Walmart. They actually had a Walmart <laughs> there, um, and then it changed to to something else. I think it's called um, Real. And yeah, like some of the stores are super duper expensive. Aldi always had the Aldi was pretty much the best prices, so we would go there a lot. But the food, it like it was just picked through. Like, if you didn't get there right on, I, th- I can't remember what day they had. There was some day that they always had new food. Uh-huh. I think it was Saturday morning or something like that. If you didn't get there right away, you got the bottom of the barrel, like, super bad vegetables and fruits and everything. And So, like, Thursday was a terrible day to go grocery shopping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um, at Aldi, they also had, like, other stuff to buy. Like, we would buy, like... Um, gloves and stuff there too (laughs) and then um i think the main thing about shopping in general that we noticed was like i I feel like here in the states you can you can go somewhere and 
just get kind of like a cheap thing, like a cheap bike lock or a cheap um I'm trying to think of things not related to bikes and I just cannot <laughs> Um, you know, a cheap like bicycle bell. Yeah, like, <laughs> like a cheap like uh, an air pump light for a bike. <laughs> um, but over there, you you can't get one of those that like you can get a cheap one, but their low end products are of lesser quality. Uh-huh. They they don't have that like good enough made in China thing. Yeah, <laughs> they they just have like will break within a week. Or maybe not even make it home, uh, yeah. <laughs> made in China. And then they have a huge gap, and then they have the products that's like, you know, seventy nine dollars for a bike light, <laughs> or like uh, brakes for your bike, yeah, or like a water bottle for your bike. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was um, I didn't like that about shopping in Germany. And then electronics were much more expensive, uh. and gas. But um, we didn't buy gas very much. Because uh, we were bikes you're, all the oh, time. bikes, right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, the author, Chuck Klosterman, talks about when he went, went to Germany, he was grocery shopping, and uh, someone asked if he had exact change, and he was kind of, like, thrown off by that, and he kind of laughed. He said he laughed uh, just because that's, like, an American thing to do is to just be like, huh, oh, yeah, let me see, like, huh. Like just kind of nervously laughing, yeah. laughing to fill gaps of time. Mm-hmm. Like you know how you know, normally you should just breathe, but instead sometimes you just laugh. Yeah. Uh, and he said like the the cashier was like just, you know, deadpan, like looking at him straight, like, why are you laughing at me asking you for exact change? Oh, that's totally right. Okay, I'll I'll share a shopping experience. Um, I went to this baby clothes store. Um, I have a daughter; she's four now. Um, when we were in Germany, she was. Um, she was born and she became two there. <laughs> this is like the she worst. She was never one. Uh, no, we just skipped past that one. <laughs> um, but so I wanted to get her a onesie, uh-huh. right? It's this like little jumpsuit thing that babies wear. And um, so I go to the store and I'm like, "Can I get this onesie?" Um, th- there's a woman setting up a a rack of of clothes, and she's like, "No, this is for a sale tomorrow." <laughs> and um, and I'm like, so can I buy it for full price right now? And she was like, no, sorry, like I'm setting this rack up for for that purpose. <laughs> and I was like, I can't give you just money, and then you give me your goods that you sell here. <laughs> and and like this sort of thing would happen all the time. Like just this strange, like they weren't really interested in selling you something. <laughs> sometimes like even though it was a store and then yeah like I I would go into a store kind of not made up my mind is not made up on getting a product and I'm like I want to learn some information about it yeah and a lot of times they would just be like you know well what you want to use that product for is not the proper use so they would they would dissuade me they would try to be like you should go to a camera shop if you want to build something for your camera and because I I'm I'm like a really like DIY type of person DIY, I want to do yourself it. Yeah, I do do yourself it. I want to build things all the time. And so whenever I would go to the, whenever I'd go to the hardware store, I would be looking for maybe pipes or something so I could build a little stabilizer thing for my camera because I yeah. just started getting into videography. And um, yeah, I would go in and like, oh, I'm looking for some PVC pipe, you know, like um, thirty millimeter pipe maybe or something. And um, 
they would be like, what is the purpose? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's, you know, don't worry about it. I just, I'm looking for a pipe. And it's like, well, it's important to know why you would use it. And I'm like, what? well, I, I'm going to use it for um, this camera rig that I'm building. This is not a camera shop. And like, <laughs> it, it was just really frustrating. Because it wasn't just the, um, like, you didn't, I could nail the language and like the, um, you know, the grammar and everything at sometimes but yeah. if i said a question that someone would not ask no. then that would be a problem too like oh you're saying a thing that i haven't heard before yeah so i feel like you're a foreigner it now. seems like like a lack of like as a culture it seems like they have a lack of compromising yeah <laughs> yeah and it, it it just it came down to like you know just certain things like you know like that they were just no budging like at the store you're they are guarding their merchandise and you have to say the right code to buy it. That is so weird. So, yeah. I mean, obviously that's not across the board. Like sometimes we got really good service, but it was definitely worse service than I'm used to here in the States. It's weird though, because that's not even like, it's not even that that's just like bad service in the sense that like they don't really care. Like they're not listening or not really helping out. That's like weirdly specific anti helping you like service that's not just a disregard that's a no i cannot help you do this because that is not what this pipe is for yeah yeah it's like it, it's a con it's like against their own interests to <laughs> not sell me the pipe like just i'm building something don't worry about it it's not a bomb <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know so that was that was a difficult time shopping in germany i feel like I could make an argument that that's that like German filmmakers like have that same mentality, but I can't think of one German film that I would use that to. So I'm like not going to bullshit that <laughs> I was going to like try to do that for a few minutes, but I'm just going to move on because I can't back it up with any thought. Yeah. I mean, isn't there a, a filmmaker named like, you know, like Bill or something <laughs> like that? I mean, that must be a German filmmaker. Yeah, right? And he's very uncompromising. In he's his like shot just... selection. So straight. <laughs> uh, okay, so we'll move backwards a little bit because you weren't always in Germany. Yeah. Um, you were raised in Connecticut, correct? Like that's where you were brought up as a as a youngin. Yeah, yeah. For the most part, um, my parents moved me up. We, I, I guess I was born in the city. I was born in New York Hospital, I think, in Manhattan. Um. Don't check to see if that's a place. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I think I was maybe like just two or three when my parents, I think I lived with both of my parents at that point, moved us up to like somewhere in Connecticut, like Danbury, Kent area. So your parents were there. in, were they in New York like for a while before you were born? Yeah, my mom's from the city. Um, I think she's like from Brooklyn. Mm. And um, my father was from... Uh, he was actually from Rochester, mm -hmm. and he moved to the city at some point to like, I don't know. He was like an art smuggler at some point, and what? Yeah, I yeah, I I think he was doing that, and I think he like he and my mom met doing like doing some kind of nightclub illegal stuff. <laughs> I I don't really know what they were doing. Um, yeah. So he was living in the city. They were they were both in the city for a while. How do you get into art smuggling in Rochester? 
I think he probably learned about that. And yeah, so I shouldn't. So that information comes from my mom. And <laughs> you want to throw out a disclaimer? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anything that my mom has ever told me has been true. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I can't, you know, you know. It's, Can't completely it's, confirm or deny. It's fun to say my dad was an art smuggler, so I'm just gonna go with it for now. But um, you know, there's a, it's probably not true. That's like my grandma is kind of the same way. My my dad's mom. Oh really? Is like has I don't think has ever told the truth or anything, or like it's just kind of unsure if anything she's ever said is the <laughs> truth. Um, and like I think that there's a story about like a distant uncle being like an international jewel thief. Oh, nice. Like, I'm pretty sure that's a thing, Dude. but I, like, I haven't even really looked into it because I'm like, oh, grandma said it, so right. I probably don't have an uncle who's an international jewel thief. Yeah. But I like the ambiguity of maybe maybe I do. Yeah. My my mom has a story about, um, like, dating the Prince of Morocco, um, <laughs> and, like, uh, maybe she did. I don't really know. <laughs> she she has like a lot of I feel like that's one that you just kind of like just hope is just true. Like there's maybe like say out of every 25 things she tells you there's like five true ones. Yeah. You like to just yeah, my mom probably dated the prince of Morocco at yeah. one point. I I mean sure. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like that one is it's just obscure enough, right? Yeah. Like okay. <laughs> sure you did that. Like, went on a date or, like, dated for a while? Oh, I... Like, was seen. I... Yeah. That's... That's too much. I don't know about it. <laughs> How does that come up in conversation? Yeah, my mom would... So, I would always, like, ask my mom if she would... When I was a little kid, I would be like, would you date a guy named blank? Uh-huh. So, this is just a game that I would play with her, and I would, like... <laughs> I would, na- like make up a name or say a name basically i was trying to like figure out how racist racist my mom was <laughs> so i would you know be like would you date a guy named mufasa uh you know like when i was eight years old or something like that and i you know i would go through all the names and you know would you date marvin gay would you date like this guy and that guy and uh i don't know probably in one of those conversations she told me about the prince of morocco <laughs> so can't remember what his name was so I don't know if she's racist or not <laughs> regarding North Africa. Uh, I do think that uh, I've had interesting conversations about names and how they affect your life. Okay. Like, don't you think if you were named like, like, all right, Mufasa, for example, like that you would have a slightly different life than you have now? <sighs> yeah, I think so. So every time you say, hey, m- my name is Mufasa. Uh-huh then you get that like moment of like let me look at you for a second and validate your name to the way you look right so um you know like if you have a you know a blonde haired blue eyed person and they and they're you know let's say they're named Mufasa then you're you're like the person who tells you it, it might like um or the person hearing it might kind of pause for a second and that's sort of like how isn't that kind of how microaggressions work? Mm-hmm. Like this, um, these little things that we do. Sometimes they're they're involuntary, but they they are like out of the norm. Yeah. Right. So, 
you know, you just sense, like, you just end up sensing, oh, like, whenever I say my name to someone, they just, everyone tweaks their head a little bit yeah. or they move their eyes. So because of that, throughout your life, you gain, like, a little bit sharper of an edge. Maybe. A little more bitter. Yeah, or maybe, or maybe you, th- there's built in some, um, you know, some anxiety about introducing yourself to someone. Yeah. Or, or say like you're at a party and you say like, oh, like your boy goes like, oh, this is my friend Mufasa. And then like this girl turns around. She's like Mufasa. Yeah. Like, and then you have this conversation with this girl and then you end up dating this girl because she turned around and heard your name. Yeah. Yeah. It could be, it could work to your advantage, I suppose. Yeah. I think it just, I think names affect a person's life. And I think that's something that people don't think about. Like if my name was Oswald. I think that I'd have a different life than my name being Austin because I was like fairly weird in like school, Mm -hmm. you know, but I was like funny and people liked me. But I think if my name was Oswald, that would have pushed my weirdness like too far. And I think I would have been off putting. Yeah. Maybe people would expect like or or be looking for more weirdness than was actually there. Yeah. Yeah. And like pin you into a like an Oswald category. (laughs) Shout out to all the Oswalds. (laughs) Yeah. Some guys. Or ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Lady Oswald. <laughs> Lady Oswald. That's what you have to go by. Yes. Any yeah. girl with a, with a male name needs to go by Lady and then that name. I yeah. think that should be a law. Oh, man. I saw this thing um, on the Stephen Colbert show where um, Helen Mirren, uh-huh. um, she, he had her on and, and she just like holds his face and kisses him on the lips as she comes <laughs> in. And he just like melted. <laughs> It, I definitely would have done that too, like and um, he called her Dame, yeah, Dame Helen Mirren, uh-huh. and I, I hadn't heard that before. That's like I didn't know she. I guess that's if you're knighted. Is that that's a counterpart to, to sir? sir? Yeah, I think so because there's like Judy Dench is Dame Judy Dench. Oh, so I always read it as Dama uh-huh. because of like living in Germany. Yeah. Sometimes I read a word and I just think that it's a German word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, not always, but yeah, so it was pretty cool though. She like she <laughs> put one on him and he was like he was he was moved. <laughs> um is that his new show that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, it's on the the like talk show. What do you think of it? Um I've only seen the clips. I haven't watched the full episode. Mm. Um it so it feels like him still. Yeah, but it's a I don't know. It kind of feels a little bit better. Interesting. That, so I always felt like I had to process, like do a little bit of extra processing while watching the Colbert Report, uh-huh. um, which I always called the Colbert Report uh, <laughs> until recently. I heard that people don't call it that. Um, <laughs> but I just think it's like I don't know. I have to. So he's doing a character. And he is conveying information, but he's also saying it through the lens of the different characters. So yeah. there, there's like a little bit of, I don't know, there's something going on there that's kind of hard to. Well, it's just like ultimate satire. Yeah. So this one, it seems like the same information, but just like a little bit less veiled. Yeah. Um I but I I have to I have to watch more. I have to watch like, you know, a bunch of episodes all the way through to really like 
decide how I feel about it. Yeah, I'm curious to see where it'll be in like two years from now because I think that most talk shows you need to give like a year and a half buffer to like kind of get in into the zone of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but to me, like I watched, I've watched a few, and it kind of feels like, it kind of just feels like he's a little insecure about it still. Hmm. Like he feels like he's kind of taken off his clothes a little bit, and now he's exposing himself because this is like actually him, right? Rather than being able to get these ideas out with kind of a shield over you, right? Um, so I'm curious to see if he'll kind of be a little more comfortable. Uh, I hope he does because he's amazing and I love yeah. him. Well, Stephen, if you're listening, um, you know, get in touch with us and let, <laughs> let us know what you think. What do you think of uh, every late night host being a white guy and then having a black sidekick as the band leader? Oh. Huh. Oh, yeah. That's like, a thing. Hey, I'm the cool master white guy. <laughs> Check out my little buddy. <laughs> Play me a song, little buddy. Yeah, that's... um. It feels a little sketchy, like, now that it's happened to every single late night show. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. Huh. Ew. Yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah. Fallon has the roots, which uh-huh. is like, you know, that works, and the roots are a part of the show. Right. Um, And he was kind of like the first person to like get like this band involved Mm -hmm. uh but then like who came after that uh i guess seth myers doesn't do that i guess fred armison is his band leader sometimes oh wow i haven't i haven't seen um that one yet uh james corden has reggie watts as the band leader okay stephen colbert has i forget the guy's name as the band leader reggie watts is um the like virtuoso voice guy right yeah he does like he's like the comedian but can also do like crazy he can like slip in in and out of different languages and accents yeah yeah yeah. like that yeah i can't do that uh i'm no i'll practice it and see if i can (laughs) (laughs) you want to try like just for the next hour no (laughs) i actually do fantasize about like just speaking other accents and stuff like that but Right now, I feel like I can't speak at all. Um, do you feel like in your head you can do accents and impressions so much better than you actually – like, I think that's most people, you know, you think you can do it well. I feel like like the funniest one to me is, like, Obama. Like, you think you can kind of do an Obama impression. Oh, yeah. And then just, like, the second you start to do it, you're like, nope. Yeah. This isn't going to work at all. This is bad. This is terrible. Yeah, it's – um. My my brain is trying to, like, force me to do it right now, but I know that my mouth isn't going to be able to do it. It's embarrassing. Like, every single time it happens because you're like, okay, I think I finally got it. Yeah. And you just go like – and then you say it, and you're like, no. Jo- Jordan Peele does a really good yeah. Obama. Yes, he does. I think I think his is way up there. Yeah. Uh, um, Jay Farrow does a pretty good Obama. I don't know that one. That yeah, person. it's pretty good. Um. Yeah, I was listening to um, some, like, Obama speeches earlier today uh-huh. from, like, campaigns and stuff like that, and he was feisty. Oh, yeah. He was a lot more feisty than I remember because his his – I feel like his presidency has been so – I don't know what to say – ridiculously patient, mm-hmm. um, and he's, he's, like, really – I don't know. I think Obama is – president obama is so positive like he has this like positivity that is important to him for him to like show or something yeah that it's hard to it's hard to see the like 
campaign Obama because campaign Obama was like he had some had some grit to him. Yeah, he's a fighter. He had to. Yeah, and I, man, it's like don't feel like I've seen that for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you moved out of the city when you were like three. Yeah. So you don't remember moving out of the city or existing in the city. Mm, I have a memory of um of being in the city. I I think it might be constructed though. Uh-huh. It was at like you know one of the apartments like I don't know my mom or her dad's apartment. I don't know like if they had one apartment or like if they lived together or apart or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I remember this one where I'm like playing at the piano. It's I'm sure it's a fabricated memory because it's just you, you know how we do that like like we have memories but they're not real they're like you saw a picture or you heard a yeah, story yeah. and you made up a memory so one of my earliest memories of of my dad is one of those um, uh-huh. so i remember this one time he got um he got in a car accident and um i it was like there was an ice storm or something i can't remember where we were living where we were living i think it was in like kent or uh, somewhere in in connecticut and so in my mind, I remember that. And I remember looking out the window to see him coming like up our driveway. And then I remember being in the car looking up at the house. Oh. At me. <laughs> so. Uh, you don't think that's a real memory? <laughs> uh, clear giveaway. <laughs> um there's a logical fallacy in this memory. No, so that's like that's like one of the first memories I have of my dad just uh-huh. like remembering that. And obviously it's constructed, but it's still like powerful and I still feel like Yeah. I feel like I'm him looking up at me in that memory and I can feel the feeling of like I don't know, embarrassment or whatever or like you know, like crash the car. I don't know. Yeah. But so that's clearly not a memory. But yeah, I grew up in in like the Danbury, New Milford area. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years in Danbury, and I don't remember when my parents split up. But they pretty much I don't have any memories of them living together. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So and then had a whole life. Now I'm here. <laughs> uh, it's kind of weird how like memories like that that aren't real can be like a powerful thing in your life and can also kind of like shape part of who you are, like based on these feelings and emotions that you get from fabricated memories. Like even just um, like my youngest sister, she was like, when I, I remember when she was younger, uh, you know, she's probably like seven. Um, she would look at pictures of uh, our family's old dog who, who uh, died and be like, oh, I miss Cody so much. But she never knew Cody. Like, Cody mm. died before Abigail was born. Oh, wow. So she just, like, had this feeling of, like, I miss this dog because she's seen, like, home videos. And she's seen, like, you know, pictures. And we've talked about this dog. But she never knew Cody. But she still has this longing for this, you know, creature and this, like, emotion that she never actually felt. Which that kind of shapes, like, oh, I wish we still had a dog. But the still is, like, a false feeling right because you didn't you never knew what it was like to actually have a dog but yet that shapes your desire for something you've never even had yeah that's really interesting um 
that kind of reminds me of something that my um, my wife was talking about. She um, uh, so this is like she she's kind of been waking up for a while to the fact that we don't live in a post-racial society uh-huh. and so she's been talking about like autonomy and i mean i don't want to say too much because i feel like she's writing a thing about it but um uh-huh. how we don't we don't really have autonomy because like our perceptions and like baseline our baseline is you know really kind of like prescripted by our parents or like our influences early in early in life yeah so like you know you can't like you even if you didn't have a pet when like during your lifetime even though like your family had a legacy of a pet like now that's the reality like Mm. that you're a pet family so like yeah that's interesting i i see how that could relate to like race yeah like so you have this basis of what you feel like you're supposed to feel towards something and even though you don't actually know if that's how you're supposed to feel that's what's kind of ingrained in you because of this like alleged legacy that's around it yeah like if you if you grew up um in a family that you know didn't have to really think about it very much and then they just kind of you know you grew up in that context you you could easily grow up thinking that race like isn't an important thing or like of course it's like a it's a social construct but yeah it's a a social construct that really affects people's lives but you know as far as becca was concerned growing up she didn't really see the effects of that and so she you know it it took her a long time it took her until you know relatively recently in her adulthood to to realize like oh no this is a thing and and i haven't really been seeing it so anyway and that could work in both ways like that could be you could you could say that for a family that has like you know more racist tendencies mm-hmm. and you could also say that for a family that's open-minded that where even though they're not acknowledging it like in a positive way like they're saying like you know there is no difference or you, you don't present a difference you're now also not seeing like the negative things yeah yeah Which that's that's her yeah yeah that's definitely her experience yeah because her family's jewish and they um you know they're just like you know rightly so like you know all people are the same and you know that's that's just how it is and you know people used to you know our country used to be really unequal in the past but um now it's better or now it's equal but so she did she yeah so her her context was you know really positive but also missing components that she's like had to piece together later in life yeah do you think like but i mean i guess if everyone taught that way then that would kind of become the social standard right um taught what way like if everyone like went into the mindset of like everyone's equal then it eventually becomes everyone's equal like ideally oh yeah but you can't i i guess it's kind of a catch-22 because so say you want to put forth that there's no difference between anyone because you want to raise like your child in a way thinking that there is no difference between anyone but now you create that problem where you know they don't recognize the problems that you know these people who aren't white go through but now say you put that in their mind that they they do go through problems like 
now that in their mind that presents them in a different light. Yeah, it's like it comes back to the to the name thing. Yeah. Like, um, you know, if you have a name that's close to baseline, um, like like Austin's a, a pretty normal name. It's 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 different enough to where like I only know a few people named Austin. Yeah. Um, but it's it's still like a word that if you look at it, you immediately know how to pronounce it. Um, most people know how to spell Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there. So when you see it, it's not really a problem. It's just like, um, you know, seeing a person. Like if you just had a picture, if you just had someone draw a picture of a person, it's probably it's likely that it's going to be a white person. Yeah. Like just, you know, if hundred thousand randomly selected people drew a person it's probably going to be a white person and it's probably going to be a white man so like if you don't look like that then there's you know sometimes your interactions are going to have that pause like like as if your name was you know Mustafa or something you know it's just like oh your name is Mustafa okay and maybe maybe it's all open-minded people but there's still like the oh yeah you're a little bit different than my perception of the baseline. Yeah. So, yeah, so even even if everyone is well-meaning, um, if you just, like, pretend that, if everyone pretends that they're colorblind or something, then that might not be helpful either. Yeah. Because it's like y- you are just trying to ignore something that you do actually notice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... I think it's better to, like, acknowledge it than just pretend that it's not there. Yeah. And that's something that took me a long time to realize myself. Yeah, I was going to say, you you kind of had, like, an interesting relationship with race growing up. Yeah. Like, um, a pretty unique experience, I'd say. Yeah, so, um, so m- well, Growing up, I don't know where I should start because I had all different kinds of racial identities yeah. uh, attached to me. Um, so I guess, like, growing up, I was told that I was um, German, Irish, Chinese, and Native American. <laughs> and um, so my my black mom told me that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I was raised, um, mostly just by my mom. Um, my dad was around until I was 13. Um, he is, or he was, I guess, um, you know, he was like Irish and Lithuanian, I think. He was, Uh he was American though for, you know, his, um, his ancestors had been in America for a long time. Uh Uh, and then my mom is black and maybe something else like uh-huh. i don't know who her grandfather is um my mom or her who her father was mm-hmm. my mom thinks that he was a chinese guy named Y lee um <laughs> just a little bit too convenient right there um did you maybe ask her like while you were watching like looney tunes once yeah i'm i'm sure actually um so when she told me that she was american indian um so that her on her birth certificate it says um that her father is Sanka Mantan 
um, from Indonesia. Uh, and that Whoa. that person is um, so okay. That could be my grandfather, yeah. Sanka Mantan, uh-huh. and so she. And the, but then there's this other guy named Kawa, who could be her father, who is um, like from India. So she um, made up a composite name and told me that that was her mother's maiden name, Mantan Kawa. And to to me, a kid, I was just she, and she said that's Native American, and I was like, Mantan Kawa. Yeah. That does that mean to to a little kid that. Sure. Like, yeah. just tell Checks them. Out. Yeah, sounds good. And then she <laughs> right, told, she man, told me that cow sounds about right. She told me that I was a um, that I had a, uh, an Indian name is Hiawatha, <laughs> so Hiawatha Mantankawa <laughs> sounded in- Indian enough to me. <laughs> uh, so I kind of like went along with that for a while, and you know when when I had um, you know whenever we had kind of like Native American studies in school, I would kind of you know really perk up really really, you know (laughs) guys guys i got this that's my people you know what i mean (laughs) um and then you know at some point she told me that um you know my grandfather was chinese and so i i remember you know in middle school like trying to hang out with like the asian kids a little bit more (laughs) and um i don't know i always at the same time all the people in her on her side of the family are like black did you have did you have a relationship with like her mom at all no actually she she totally like she just told me horrible things about her mom uh-huh. like really bad and i feel like i might have met her once but wasn't introduced to her um but yeah she was i mean i don't know her i yeah might have met her i went to her funeral to her funeral but uh-huh. or or part of it but no i don't know her uh-huh. so she was i've seen pictures of her though and I don't know. Seems black enough to me. <laughs> like I don't really know about her, but I just know um, there was a lot of controversy in my family about about what black was and who was black. And oh, really? Yeah. Like they they all um, the blackness was kind of like the family secret that like the older generation didn't want the younger generation to know. So they like you know. Like my aunt Margot, who is like as black as the night itself, yeah. it is like it, you know she's got high cheekbones, so she would try to like say that she's like South American. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, it just seems like such a thing that can't be hidden. <laughs> yeah, but you know, if you just tell kids it, yeah, they they question it. So, um, yeah. So growing up, uh, so I grew up with a, you know, my mom is like a violent drug addict. Um, so growing up with like, uh, I don't, I don't really want to say it this way, but I'm going to like a very urban black mom. Yeah. But in like a very, um, like suburban white context, Uh huh. but being told that I'm not black was always like a little bit interesting. Like, it, you know, I just, it was hard to find my place and, you know, I just was like, oh, okay, I'm just I mean, it just settled into being a person, which kind of worked out. Yeah. So I didn't, I wasn't worried too much about like trying to identify, you know, I, me- I remember that, like trying at certain points and then just being like, oh, like whatever. I'm just like not going to worry about this anymore. Mm-hmm. Actually, I went to this, um, 
I remember in, when I was in high school, so I'm kind of like spanning through my life a little bit. I went to this um, uh, pep rally, uh-huh. and there there was a minority club in my high school. Um, <laughs> where and I I visited the club once, and it was literally like they were just listening to rap music and eating <laughs> fried chicken. Like that's what their their activity was, and I was like, dude, I'm I'm joining the chess club. Like this isn't fun. Um, I would so much rather be in the minority club. <laughs> yeah. Um, so actually, I don't think I stayed in the chess club very much because I ended up um, doing a club called the Shining Light, which is a Christian club, um, <laughs> which I ended up leading because I was super holy. Um, Just a lot of flashlight stuff. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so anyway, they, um, I remember this one girl was like, hey um, – she, I had a crush on her. She's like, hey, do you want to come to the pep rally? Like, all the minorities are going to sit together. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, nah. Like, isn't, isn't. Oh, no, no, the that's pep- okay. I'm German and Irish. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, isn't the pep rally about, like, being with your class with, like, the year <laughs> that you're graduating? <laughs> like, come on. We're not going to separate by color or minority status it's ridiculous and so i was kind of like i sort of wrote it off for a long time yeah like after that i i didn't really talk about or or think about or try to identify myself as like one race or or another or whatever just because it just seemed so counterproductive and it was so super annoying to me that that like she would ask that or you know suggest that yeah it's like come on that's (laughs) stupid um what was the, like, what was the school like in terms of, like, did you feel, like, any prejudices against you, or did you kind of, like, not fall into that? Um, I, I don't know. You know, like, um, like, so I had, th- there weren't a lot of, um, like, more minority kids in the school. Yeah. Um, growing up, though, I definitely, like, got called racial names. Yeah. Like, I remember, you know, I remember one time... Like, my dog ran away, and I was, like, looking for him, like, going to neighbors' houses and stuff. And, you know, some people would be like, oh, you know, okay, Paco, like, your kid, your dog's not here. Or, like, I remember going to this karate tournament with my friend um, Nate, and on the way back, uh, the kids were just like, hey, I think that you're a nigger. And, like, <laughs> oh and I was just like, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know what that is, but I feel like that's a bad word. And then they were just like, you're a nigger, you're a nigger. And like, um, yeah, it definitely felt bad. It's weird because that's every karate class I've ever gone to. Was <laughs> yeah, like that. That's like how they end. It's yeah, it was just a weird like thing about karate. It was definitely Cobra Kai. <laughs> um, but so, so I I came home and um, you know, when I got home, I told my mom and I yeah. was like, Mom, like these guys are calling me like nigger nonstop, and um, she calls up Nate's mom. And she's like, they're just screaming and like crying and stuff like, <laughs> and um, so I didn't really hear about it for a few years. Uh, and by the way, I was pretty young at that point. I think I was in, um, I think I was in fourth grade, uh-huh. um, or maybe maybe third, third or fourth grade. And then like a few years later, I, I was pretty sure I was in middle school. I was talking to my mom and I was like, hey, do you remember that time uh, that I went to that karate tournament? And she's like, oh yeah. Um, I got some friends um, from like whatever neighborhood, neighborhood X, 
and um, we went over to their house and showed them the true meaning of nigger. Oh. <laughs> and like, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, so I feel like that's a pretty funny joke. <laughs> You're like, oh, Nate's been like so much kinder to me for like the last few years. <laughs> yeah, no, um, actually, I mean, I didn't, I can't remember what happened between us, but he like, so my mom would always encourage me to like fight people who said like your mama jokes and stuff like that. <laughs> and so Nate like was making fun of my mom and basically she was like, like she like basically forced me to like ambush him at the bus stop. Yeah. And so like. I just like fought him and it was like terrible. I I wasn't really a violent kid, but like, you know, (laughs) she was like, you have to fight. Yeah. So it was like, it was pretty terrible anyway. So, um, yeah. So she kind of like taught me some bad stuff, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, yeah, I I was definitely called like racial slurs and stuff throughout my life. Um, strangely. So like, I, I really didn't, I didn't understand, like, why that was happening. Yeah. Because, like, I didn't know. You know, I I don't – I feel like I kind of look like just, like, an every person, person, just not European. Yeah, yeah. Not Northern European. Um, But for some reason, like, I don't know, people would – like, Hispanic people would often, like, claim me as one of their own. They're like, oh, you're Spanish, like – and they're like – or Brazilian people – and then black people usually didn't want me to be black. <laughs> they yeah. would, like, try to talk about how I wasn't black or something yeah, yeah. or, you know. So, I mean, some did, like, when I was younger. But, like, when I was in middle school and stuff and high school, like, it was kind of like, I don't know, everyone was trying to, like, separate and figure out who they were. Yeah. But, sorry, this is, like, so much about about race and no, no, myself. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you for apologizing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're welcome. I feel like. Apology. I feel like that, I mean. The only times I've ever, like, people have confused me. Well, I guess not confused because I am part Mexican. But, like, when I was in Florida, like, they would just, people would start talking to me in Spanish. But that's yeah. not, like, racist. That's just, like, oh, you just probably think I speak Spanish. Yeah, Like, there's never nice. been, like, a, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could have spoke back, but I I don't retain any of my middle school Spanish knowledge. Oh, yeah. Um, The only, I guess the, the meanest derogatory things is, like, it's more, like, like not class but like i guess like social class based where like some jocks in like high school and then like post high school called me like faggot hipster oh yeah which is like that's not literally the one time it got called like faggot hipster i was wearing like an antoine jameson wizards jersey okay (laughs) i was like guy we're like we just talked about like the nba for like 20 minutes like (laughs) <laughs> just because my hat's backwards i'm like a hipster and gay <laughs> that's so funny because i had a similar experience um this guy i mean he must have been like waiting for an opportunity to call me like a, a homie or something like that or uh-huh. i don't know what word he used to make me feel bad by calling me that because it was like basically it was like all cool if you were a homie but he he said he said like he said that to me but it was like on the day that i was wearing like um like a sweater and khakis or something like that (laughs) and he's like yeah he like bumped into me and was like yo yo homie or something and i was like uh yo man (laughs) he'd been storing it and just he's like damn it i have to use it today it just yeah he's like he just worked himself up to it he's like oh i can 
can't I can't wait for the next time. <laughs> I just got to say what it now. What else am I going to bump into this homie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Um, when you talked about being forced into a fight, that reminded me. I've never been in a fight except for this one, like, half little, like, it was in third grade. And I was on a playground. And this kid, Timmy, came over and did something to annoy me. So then I pushed him. And then he pushed me back, and then we were just kind of pushing each other, like, you know, third grader style. Yeah. Like, there were no fists thrown or, or anything. And uh, and we got sent to the principal's office, and I would like, never even come close to being in trouble, like, at all. Yeah. So I was, like, horrified. And I was literally in the chair in the principal's office weeping. Like, I was, like, weeping. I remember crying so hard. And the kid, Timmy, was just like, he's like, uh, you know, the principal was like, Timmy, what happened here? And... He's like, oh, this is my fault. Like, it was it was self-defense on his part. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, damn. Like, he took, took the fall for me. Wow. And I don't think I ever talked to that kid again, but we, like, graduated together. Huh. But Weird. I just – I always felt – and I think the reason why is I always felt guilty seeing him. Like, I feel like Timmy had, like, shouldered this burden that oh, wasn't supposed man. to be his. What was it not his fault? Like, no, no, I pushed him first. Oh man. Yeah. Dude, what an honorable little boy. I know. I think about it still like weekly. Timmy, man. I hope he's doing good. Yeah, I hope that honor like just kept him going. <laughs> like higher and higher. He's probably he seemed really smart. He's probably really successful. Yeah. Good for Timmy. Wow, what a what a like ambassador of peace. In third grade, too. Yeah. Like, that's, like... That's really respectable. Yeah. I don't like that about myself, though. I don't like that I didn't come forward and say that he didn't do it. Oh, my gosh. Like That's if, so weaselly of me. I, I just have so many, like, terrible memories of, of like, not standing up for something like that. Uh, and, yeah. Like, you know, just people being pushed over or something, and I, like, don't do anything about it or... Ugh. It just feels terrible. Yeah. Just, like, remembering your life. Oh, my God. Yeah, dude. (laughs) Just this guilt that just, like, weighs on you about something that happened in, like, 1997. Yeah. Yeah. I just – I have tons of thoughts like that. Even, even like, simple stuff. Like, I think about this one time. I went to Virginia with an ex-girlfriend, and, uh, like, I knew a family who lived there, and they're like, oh, if you get some free time, like, let's, let's get dinner. And I, like, didn't really want to do that. So I said I was busy, but I really just went and saw a movie because I didn't want to hang out with oh, them. yeah. And that was, like, probably four, three years ago, and I still think about it. Like, yeah. it was so not a big deal. It was, like, two hours. Oh, my. And I was just like, ah, oh, I can't. Sorry, I don't have time. I just saw a movie. I saw I saw 42, the Jackie Robinson movie, which was a bad movie. Harrison Ford. Worth, Harrison yeah. Ford in that movie playing the worst like baseball manager <laughs> i just remember i quote it all the time because it's always in my head i guess because i think about the scenario all the time when right i saw this movie instead of hanging out with this nice family but harrison ford's like robinson get in my office he's <laughs> <laughs> just so scratchy oh. it was terrible and that's why i was like a little nervous about harrison ford and this new star wars because i just had this memory of him playing this disgruntled baseball manager oh yeah i thought he um i thought I don't know. I liked the new Star Wars. I didn't really care about his performance. Like I thought it was 
it didn't like detract or add. No, his performance was great. It was the only thing, and we talked about this on our Star Wars podcast, was that you could so tell how old he was because of how slowly he was turning to shoot the gun. Oh, and, yeah. And, like, his run was, like, the most old man run ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, no, I, I was thinking about this memory. Um, I don't know if you want to labor this one. But um, I had I – was, I was a music director at a church that we both went to. <laughs> uh, that's how we know each other. Um and Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I know you. Um, and I had this one um, one woman singing with me, and uh, she was really sweet. She um, she had a really nice voice. Yeah. And she just got like nervous on one like one Sunday mm-hmm. for when we were rehearsing, and she like couldn't sing. Like she couldn't um, do it. I don't know if I like asked her to sing harmonies or something. Yeah. Um, and she just kind of like stepped out and and didn't do it and i just feel bad about it like i wish i would have like tried to spend more time with her helping and helping her out or yeah. been like hey like let's um let's work on this this week and like you can do it and i just was like trying to like survive basically and i i really regret that yeah so if you're listening <laughs> i'm really sorry hope you hope your voice is feeling good um yeah. I mean, I guess that's like a good quality to like have remorse about not doing the right thing. Like it seems like a better thing than to never think about the times that you weren't. Right? Yeah. Like it seems like Oh, yeah, it definitely. Seems like you care about doing good things then if you think about the times where you passed up on opportunity. It wasn't even like it wasn't like I did the wrong thing. I I just think I should have done a better thing. Yeah. You know, like I should have, I should have just like fought for her to be on the team more, or, or or like tried to, you know, just encourage her. And it was just sort of easier to like be like, okay, like I'm sorry, like you don't want to be on the team anymore or something. Yeah. Um. So, anyway, I I think about that time a lot and and just kind of feel bad about it. Like, yeah. Like just um. I don't know. I didn't. Um, I didn't thank uh, like Jack Politowski enough for helping me so much with like this big project that we did <laughs> once. Like we we like moved the stage and lights from like one area to another, uh-huh. and like he helped me like a whole bunch. And so did um, um, Mr. Rupert uh-huh. and like a bunch of guys like Savakul, Eric Savakul, and like. <laughs> Guys, I just love you guys. <laughs> Thanks so much for all your help. Oh, dude, here's here's one I think about. All right, so when I graduated, my parents threw me like a, you know a graduation party, and my mom was like very excited about it. Um, and like, so I asked if we could like have a rave type thing in the basement, like after the graduation party was done. Okay. Like just and Matt was gonna DJ and it was gonna be just like a fun good time and my mom was like yeah sure of course so uh i get like i feel gross when i think about this so i just kind of spent the whole graduation party setting up for this like rave thing <laughs> and like i didn't really hang out at the graduation party yeah Ugh. and then like my mom would i just i know she doesn't care and she had a fun time because like her friends were there but i feel so awful that i wasn't like hanging out with like 
people who came there to be like nice to me. Oh, I was just like in a basement, like cleaning up, doing like my own thing. Yeah, that's um, I feel you on that. What year did you graduate? Uh, two thousand nine. Oh, okay, so I'm. I must have met you like right around then. Yeah. Um, maybe you had already graduated when we first like had our first conversation. Uh huh. Like in the office, because I started, I started working there. Um in may of 2009 yeah and then like i guess i graduated yeah yeah you graduated probably in june yeah 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 i think our second conversation ever was about jay-z oh really yeah because i was mopping and i was listening to reasonable doubt on my headphones oh yes and you're like oh is that you're listening to reasonable doubt yeah and i was like oh yeah like (laughs) you like this and you're like oh no that was like the last time i listened to rap so I was like, "Oh, never mind. We can't have a conversation." Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, reasonable doubt was uh, there was so much like Illuminati reference. <laughs> so oh, like when he says like Illuminati, a yeah, bunch. like a whole bunch. <laughs> I think you were listening to like uh, the Vapors or something. Uh. I can't remember what song it was, but I, yeah, immediately recognizable. <laughs> that's like that's like my probably like my fifth favorite Jay Z album. Really? Yeah. Like, it's not even, like, one of my top. Yeah, I don't really have... I remember um, my friend Maurice showed it to me, and I was just like... He was like, oh, this is the new thing. Like, this is it. You have to know this music now. Uh-huh. And I... um, I don't know. I wasn't really into... I didn't know anything about Jay-Z at that point. Was that, like, his that was second his, album? Or no, something? that was his first. He had, okay. like, some mixtapes and some singles, and he had, like gone on the radio with like big l oh and like had some of that stuff but that was his first like big album yeah i was listening to like busta rhymes a lot back then (laughs) and like um i um like i had i was kind of like sometimes listening to mob deep Mm. but they were like a little bit too like violent for my taste yeah uh I I listened to um like Wu Tang and and I was actually into like old school hip hop at that time. Yeah. So like it's funny to think about what about like I mean being like, in the mid 90s and then being into old school hip hop. Yeah, yeah. So it was like what like African Bombada. Yeah, like um like I guess uh I was into um who was I don't know, like Cool Modi. Yeah. And, um Grandmaster Flash. Uh, yeah, a little bit, you know, like the just kind of like what was it, King Tim the Third or something like uh-huh. that, like some some of those those guys. Yeah, but yeah, I really liked. Um, <laughs> I had this I had this like cable box for music, uh-huh. um, called DMX. <laughs> um, that's it was called Digital Music Express, uh-huh. and this was probably in like, you know, nineteen ninety six or something like that. Yeah, I um. This was in in that apartment that I pretty much lived in by myself for a while. Uh-huh. Um, when I was in in uh, eighth grade, <laughs> <laughs> I um, and I, so I would just have my friend Maurice over, and we would like watch kung fu movies and stuff. Yeah, and th- there was only like tomato juice and vodka in the <laughs> fridge, and, <laughs> and and like so, I was always like, just trying to like find stuff to make soup with. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's like I had no supervision, and my neighbor would be like, I remember my neighbor 
introduced herself to me and she's like, hey, are, are you guys roommates or something? And I was like, no, I'm just in eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I had this DMX thing and, and it had like an old school hip hop channel and I would be able to listen. That was probably the last time that I like knew about music. About, yeah. I like knew anything, um, not like about music because I was a music major. So I know stuff about music, but I like knew about popular music. Yeah. Then, and uh, so when did you transition your interest in music? Because you played in a hardcore band. Yeah. So what what shifted there? All right. So um, so the the transition happened. Um, I was basically, you know, when I was a little kid, I just listened to like eighties metal, just like every other kid. <laughs> um, and then any any particular bands. Yeah, you know, like my first concert was um, Guns N' Roses. Whoa, like, that's a pretty solid first concert. Yeah, so I saw them, I can't remember if it was in like 1989 or something like that, or uh-huh. 88. Was that like right post Appetite for Destruction? Um, I don't know. I, I remember they, I think Poison was on the, was on it too. <laughs> like, it, it was at, I think it was at like Lake Compounds or something like that. Uh-huh. It was at a big, like, playing area uh i think it was an amusement park yeah um so yeah i remember like being at the cause i don't remember very much from like the music of it yeah but so that was like the kind of music that i thought was good then because my mom's boyfriend at the time was into it yeah (laughs) um and then i had uh, wait did he take you to the concert yeah i sat i sat on his shoulders and my mom my mom was there too i i was like probably six or something like that <laughs> um yeah so then i um at some point like in the in like the early 90s i started getting into hip-hop yeah like um you know i liked um digital underground and mm. um tupac you know from Any, like tribe called quest there uh no actually i didn't really i didn't i didn't dislike them but i wasn't like they they weren't on my radar. Oh, okay. Um and I don't know, like a bunch of like whatever popular rap groups I was into. Yeah. I I also I liked um who sings who sang um Black Hole Sun? Oh, Soundgarden? Yeah, Soundgarden. Dude, hell yeah. Dude, I loved Soundgarden. Or just that one song basically. Um, um yeah, they they had that song and then they had Spoonman was their other big song. I actually don't remember it. I he says Spoon Man a lot. I'm, yeah. <laughs> any any of like the things where, like I watched MTV a lot then, and yeah. basically because I liked Idalis, she was like a VJ in the in the <laughs> early nineties, and um, yeah, she was fun. And dude, um, I have a soft spot for some of those like, like some of those bands. Yeah. Like the, <laughs> dude, yeah. I like love Pearl Jam. Really? Yeah. Like like a lot like a weird amount of love for the band Pearl Jam, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I mean, I I I just kind of tolerated that stuff. It wasn't the stuff that I liked. It yeah. was it was all hip hop that I really liked. And then, um, like, in like, in the late nineties, like probably like nineteen ninety seven or ninety eight. Oh, it was nineteen ninety seven. It was February fourth, fifteenth, nineteen ninety seven. Mm. I became a born again Christian. Mm-hmm. and soon and so i was like still listening to all my hip-hop and then like the church that i was going to like was pretty i don't know 
pretty conservative and um, they were like a conservative charismatic church <clears throat> yeah. and I ended up kind of I went to some like youth convention or something and they were like you know pumping up like you know like burn all your secular music and it was like very like secular versus Christian yeah yeah and so I just like got rid of all my music and only listened to Jackie Velasquez <laughs> Like, I got rid of everything. Yeah. And all, all my I, – I had, like, a Blase Blase record. Uh-huh. Um, I had a bunch of, like, really cool stuff. And I was like, no, now it's just Jackie Velasquez. Oh, my God. And um, so that, I, that, like, held me over for, like, probably, like, months. Like yeah. Several months. And then I started getting into, like, the WoW <laughs> CDs. Oof. Like, um, and uh, – For those who, I, who don't know – wow is like now but christian Ooh, i mean it's not good no no no. And it's so hard it's hard to get there. that that got me that that got me going for like oh and then i kind of moved into listening to alvin slaughter <laughs> he's like oh this. yo Do matt matt knows them really yeah um <laughs> yeah they they were in um they were in connecticut at some point i remember i, I remember being in high school his going, son's a rapper Oh really, Sean Slaughter, dude. Of course. <laughs> um, yeah, so I ended up liking him for a while, and then um, I went on this, like. So did you never do like the, like the alt Christian music? Uh, like the Newsboys or something like that. No, no, no. Like, like, like pre. I mean, Reliant K is probably too too more. Oh, recent. that's coming. That's coming. Oh, okay. So um, then, then I um. I went to this like, oh okay. So I had some some friends when I was in high school who were in a punk band, uh-huh. and I just kind of realized uh, this is harder than rap because I I was like doing rap. I was rapping with people. And, what? Yeah, yeah. Did I, you have a name? Yeah, my name was Omniflow. Um, <laughs> but then I I realized that that was a medical instrument, <laughs> um, and I didn't want like any kind of infringement, so I just like kind of stopped rapping. But, do you remember um, any of your raps? Oh yeah. All right. Um, All right, do one. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> they're, they're out there. Um, but then, so I went to this, like, I went to this retreat with these people who um, I met up in the Boston area in, like, Lynn, Linfield. And uh-huh. they, um, and some of those guys were into MXPX. And when I heard MXPX, yeah. I was like, oh, dude. No, forget all of this other music. Yeah. And then, so I kind of got into, like, punk and hardcore through MXPX, which is, like, kind of, like, a weird angle. Yeah, they were, um, I feel like they were a gateway band for a lot of people. Yeah, and then and then this church that I was going to in um, in Connecticut, in um, Walnut Hill Community Church, they, um, they had um, Reliant K, Five Iron Frenzy, and Fillmore play nice. there one one time and um i had been kind of getting into them after that through this group of people i met in boston what year was this uh this is like i don't know 99 2000 so this was like reliant k's first album uh yeah with the marilyn manson song yeah yeah i think so so um (laughs) yeah i mean they like they were great i I just remember being like uh, but so i was already into it and then and then um this kid um brent and vaughn uh-huh. Um, who he's a, he's like a tattoo artist in the Danbury area, and he has a band called um, Union Rail. Mm-hmm. He's like probably 
my main musical influence. Yeah. Um, I started hanging out with him and started playing guitar. Uh-huh. Like, this is when I was 18. This is, like, after I'd graduated high school. Yeah. And um, I was just kind of, like, hanging out with him a lot and learning about kind of, like, punk and hardcore music. And then I just kind of went, like, right into Bad Brains. And, oh, nice. Like, um, like Bad Brains, Old School Ramones, The Clash. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, Fast Break, Gorilla Biscuits, uh, that, that sort of stuff. Any rancid? Um, nope, no rancid. Not for any reason. Just yeah. didn't. So, and then like um, you know, like uh, agnostic front a little bit, and mm. just basically like I started going to shows and like hanging out with kids who go to shows. Yeah, yeah. And like, but local shows, not like big shows. You were still you were in Connecticut still. Yeah. So were you going like were these shows in Connecticut or were they like yeah, Jersey? Or... Almost always in Connecticut. Oh, okay. Almost always at the Empress Ballroom. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like just kind of like the Danbury Bethel music scene. And I I was like kind of learning how to play guitar as like all these other kids were in bands and stuff. Yeah. Um and then um I don't know, then like I was a music major and I was doing like a lot of music at church and stuff. Oh, my battery is about to die. Oh, can we get a... Let me get that. Oh, shoot. This is so small. Oh, wait. That's good. Is it going to do it? Yes. Here, let me Ah, scoot that back. Okay. Um, And then uh, I was playing music a lot at church and stuff. Yeah. And then I had an opportunity to play in Shai Hulud. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I was already... I was into Shai Hulud because of um, some friends who I played Frisbee with. (laughs) (laughs) um that's the most youth group (laughs) statement ever by the way yeah but these weren't like this wasn't um like a youth group thing though it was like through college like i had friends in college who i would meet up with and Uh and then and then like i met people who were like in the connecticut hardcore scene and then Uh and then that kind of like you know years later like actually before I technically graduated, although I should have graduated by then, I was um, playing in that band uh-huh. for like a year. And you did you toured right? Like you went around. <clears throat> yeah, we d- we did um, we did a couple of little tours uh-huh. through the states, and then we did like a big month long European tour where we we toured like I can't remember like twenty nine dates in thirty one days or something Jeez. like that. And how old, you were what like twenty. Two, I would think I was point? twenty. I think I was twenty four or twenty five. Uh. I was in two thousand and six, and then um, yeah, I was twenty four. And then um, yeah, we then we did two U.S. tours, like one that went out to the West Coast, and then one that went out like just kind of like south, and then up the Mississippi or the other way or something yeah. like that. So yeah, and did that was you, it. Did you play with anyone interesting? Like any any bands that? Yeah. Um. Um. Parkway Drive opened up for us, <laughs> um, <laughs> and they were always like, I don't know, they were ladies, men, yeah, uh, a lot, and I was like really oblivious of when I was on tour. Like I, I wasn't trying to like, um, hook up with people or anything. Like yeah. I just wanted to like practice German, <laughs> and like, yeah, and you you get didn't to know drink people or anything. No, I like went to sleep at night. It yeah. was always. <laughs> It was always like me and the and the bus driver, like the tour bus driver, just like talking in the morning, yeah. and everyone else is asleep. 
no, they, they, there was a, there was enough like straight edge people, and um, we toured with like remembering never, um, toured with life in your way, um, with honor. Um, ugh, what's the name of that band? Dead to fall. Um, just a whole whole bunch of bands. We, yeah, we played a show with. What, like the chariot opened up for us. Oh, and like that's pretty awesome. It's like funny to think about the bands that opened up for us. Yeah, because like, like so many of them are were just like way. I feel like they're more popular bands uh-huh. than the one that we were in. Yeah, um, Paint It Black. Uh huh. Um, Casey Jones. Okay. Casey Jones is like Southern hard Southern Florida hardcore band. Or um, no, actually, I think they're from like, um. Jacksonville or something. Uh-huh. They were so good. They were probably one of the best bands I heard live. Oh yeah. And they didn't I don't even think they had their bassist that night or something and they just sounded so like swoopy and fun and aggressive. Yeah. And, like super straight edge and good. <laughs> um them and, and Paint It Black were probably my favorite ones from tour to like here. But yeah, I think though that's like the majority of them. Uh-huh. They toured with a whole bunch of bands. I can't remember all their names now. Yeah, it's just a problem being like a rock star. <laughs> no, it's just like, um, it's just been a long time. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> rock star. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so where was your uh, like, where was your favorite place when you were doing that? Because this is you're probably like this is the first time you're really going like places, right? Like, did you really go anywhere? No, or, before that, not really. Yeah. I mean, I'd kind of like, um, you know, done little trips and stuff, but yeah. I hadn't really gone out. Um, I. I think Iceland. Yeah. Iceland was so cool. Uh-huh. Um we we did a we did one concert in Iceland and I just fell in love with that country so much. Like they had um like we went to this place called the Blue Lagoon and uh-huh. it's like this um it's like a natural hot spring place that they kind of like tapped into and they kind of made this like more stable geyser yeah. thing out of it. And like Iceland looks like a different planet and they, it has a really diverse landscapes. So you're like, you know, you come in, like when you come in on the plane into Reykjavik, it's like, um, it just looks like the moon or something. Oh, like wow. everything's super gray and, and dark. And, um, and then, you know, you're, you're going up into the countryside and it's like, everything's green and lush and mm-hmm. they're like trees and grass and stuff. And then you like come over like kind of like a little mountain, and then on the other side is like nothing but like black volcanic rock. Uh-huh. And then on your way to um, the Blue Lagoon, like you're just in the this field of black rocks, and then you start seeing like milky blue water in the uh-huh. midst of the rocks, and then the and then they have the resort, and it was cool. Like we swam in there, and I got to meet some cool people and hang out and. That's amazing. Yeah, so Iceland is like, I really love that place. So how did you leave the band? Like, what happened? Uh, it, it got weird between me and um and like the main guy. Uh huh. Um, where um, yeah, we just kind of like had some personality um, conflicts. Yeah. He um. I learned a lot about myself in that time and since then i've like realized that i don't really understand sarcasm <laughs> which um you know looking back to my whole life i 
I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I grew up in the Northeast and there's like deep sarcasm everywhere. Yeah. And I just realized um, it was actually, it was after I met Becca that I realized how little I understood sarcasm and irony. Yeah. And so I just like, I know, I'm sure that played a part in it. Um, you know, cause like I just, I had a lot of trouble ever taking a joke like understanding that someone was just joking around yeah um so that was i'm sure that was a part of it and i just couldn't understand what jokes were is that part of why you felt drawn to germany (laughs) yeah maybe (laughs) um the actually no one of the things was just um the way people um treated me when i was trying to learn the language Uh i i felt like people cared that i was trying and Uh that really felt good yeah like you know, I it could be that, you know, the first, the first words that I learned in German were like was a very complicated phrase. <laughs> <laughs> it was um like "Könnten Sie mir bitte sagen, was das auf Deutsch heißt?" Which means like, like could you please tell me um, how to say that in German? It's very formal. It's like got multiple levels of formality. Uh-huh. Um, and I would say like excuse me please could you please tell me how to say that in german (laughs) or what that german name call (laughs) um and so i would always get this reaction like (laughs) yeah you know it's like excuse me sir could you please teach me this word in english you know if someone said it like that you would just be like oh hey um so i'd be like get out of here yeah you gotta learn it the way i did (laughs) on the streets go learn the language um yeah, so I remember just being, like, really excited by the reaction. And I would just ask anyone, like, on the train, on the, just on the street, yeah. like, talking to a wait, waiter or something. Um, so I really liked the way that people reacted to me. So that's kind of, I mean, that must be what led me to feel, like, that I felt called there. Yeah, yeah. Um, just that feeling of, like, oh, cool. Like, you're a foreigner, but you said that one phrase really well. <laughs> Yeah, and then that like changed my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's interesting. Did you go into like leading like worship and stuff right after the band? Uh, yeah. So I I'd actually done worship leading throughout um college. Uh huh. Um, basically like a within a year of starting to learn the guitar, um, uh, one of the pastors from Walnut Hill asked me if I would um if I was interested in helping them start a new service, like a new worship service. And um, it would be like a Sunday night thing. Um, at that time, they were still using language like postmodern and Gen X. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was like, it, it was it was like on its way out, but some people were still kind of using it. So we were doing like, you know, kind of like a whatever, contemporary, like contemporary is the wrong word too. So let's say postmodern Gen X service. <laughs> A Sunday night different worship service yeah. that was like more like rock oriented or whatever. Some lower lights. Yeah, yeah, candles, you know, that sort of <laughs> we were trying to do that. It was really cool. It's called Core. Um, I was involved in that and I kinda got my music chops doing that. Yeah. Like at least guitar wise. Also if you gave me ten guesses I would have got core within five. Oh, of course you would have. <laughs> Give but like flow, core. The gathering. (laughs) (laughs) Easy, right? Um, Really quick, we had, like, a youth group, uh, like, at the church that I went to. We had, like, a youth group, 
and then there was going to be like a night service like that so they wanted to come up with a name like for what it was ultimately it ended up being fusion Ooh, you know yeah. which is the name that's... and then later changed to mosaic oh that's is, yeah whatever but me and christian my my good buddy we had this whole like <laughs> we had this whole push to try to name it jeff jeff that's perfect but spelt g e o f f like we were obsessed with that yeah and we like had like a push and we were like trying to get people to vote for like this night service to just be called jeff that's so good they didn't go for it that's so. too bad man i know um i knew of this one youth group that um they called themselves the five uh-huh and i thought that was a pretty cool name that is a good one um but anyway that so i I kind of. Yeah, you said you got your music chops, like doing that. Yeah, and then, um, and then at some point, I kind of felt like I wanted to, I wanted to like see if I could do it, like as my main job. Yeah. And then so that's when I was like looking around for, um, opportunities, and then my um my friend Rob Strong got in touch with me, about uh an opportunity at Grace Community Church. Yeah. Um, when Karen DeNero stepped down. Mm-hmm. when they moved to like three services or something like that yeah so um yeah so then i interviewed there and met all the people it was, it was pretty cool and so i feel like that's interesting and me and you talked about it kind of recently how you kind of miss playing to large audiences like that are automatically receptive to what you're doing and i feel like you kind of transitioned from playing in a band that was like having well like pretty good audiences in childhood right yeah and then you would you would lead worship which is like that kind of the best audience you can play to yeah. in a way because yeah. they're like very receptive and you know it's like kind of you know making it a spiritual experience which is like ultimately what every artist would ever want their audience to do is to treat the service like a spiritual experience yeah or uh, treat the concert yeah so it's weird because did you ever have like a show that <laughs> like wasn't a receptive like large crowd um, with Shai Halud? Just, like, in general. And because it seems like you went from playing, like, in this band to, like, playing to receptive church audiences. Yeah. No, I've I've had, um, I've had like, little shows before with things. Like, uh-huh. like solo, um, non-receptive. Like before you were or, in the band. Yeah, yeah, or even in the band. Um, I mean, I remember we played this, this place in Poland. Uh-huh. And um, it was, like, terrible. <laughs> it... it it was not a good show. Yeah. Um, we we played to like I don't know like maybe like four or five people in Bakersfield oh, yeah, or something dude. like that. Um, we you know there were plenty of places, but then you know in in like in London we played to like five or six hundred people. It was like super awesome. Oh, wow. Like the most you know amazing show. Played a played a show in in Greece in Athens to like a bunch of disinterested people who then <laughs> changed their minds halfway through the show and got really into it. Oh, that it was the, that's gratifying. I'd never seen that before. Yeah. Like they just a bunch of like folded arm people and they're just like, you know, frowning folded, folded arms for like maybe the first three songs. And then they just got into it and started like stage diving and being really into it. Oh, that's amazing. It was just weird. I was like, maybe they just didn't know the first three songs or <laughs> Maybe they didn't. They were deciding. I really felt like they, it was that was a hard work show because we were like we felt like grad gratified yeah, by yeah. trying. Yeah. But <laughs> um, then you look back and those first three songs had like really anti Greek messages in them. Yeah. <laughs> <You're just laughs> like what the heck? Um. 
Yeah, so no, I guess, I guess I I did. Not really though. Yeah. I mean, I I was pretty lucky to just kind of, you know, I didn't have to struggle in some like obscure punk band. Yeah, yeah. Like I just jumped into an already established band. Yeah, that's funny cuz I just I watched uh, straight out of Compton like last night. Oh, yeah. And it, there's this scene where like Dr. Dre is like DJing at this like nightclub that he DJs at. So then when the manager steps out, that's when Dr. J tells like Ice Cube to come up because like they get like you know while the manager's out they get this like two minute span to like try out this new thing they're working on. Okay. So like Ice Cube comes on stage and they rap and it's like the audience is going crazy, and I'm like there is no way, like Ice Cube's first show with Dr. J was like to this packed nightclub that everyone was like feeling it because I'm like you know friends with like Matt and Jesse and I've been on their tours where it is literally one person or yeah. two people in a in a club and i'm like there's that's unfair it could be different though with, well with like a hip-hop show well, yeah and it also is different like you like you didn't really have the experience of like you didn't have too many awkward experiences you kind of like were jumped into a scenario where it was like kind of catered to yeah to a successful atmosphere which yeah is, i like, mean pretty funny the first show i played with them was like a house show yeah it was like this guy's birthday party show and um i remember like you know like I could play the songs and stuff like that, but like, it's it's a really really fast paced band. Like the music, some of the music is really fast and difficult to play. Yeah, and I remember it just felt like euphoric. It was so hard to keep up, and like everything just felt like it was going by like a million miles an hour. Yeah, I remember um, this guy Greg Thomas, who's like a he's like a music producer and he plays in Misery Signals, and he's like really awesome um guitar player and um you know he was the one who introduced me to the guys in the band or to matt and he was just like he was like that was not as bad as it could have been (laughs) (laughs) like and for for him that was him like giving me a really big compliment yeah yeah (laughs) like you didn't completely fail (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i really appreciated that um so what are you gonna try to do with music now going forward yeah that's a good question um so i have a whole bunch of um songs that i am working on uh and i have a friend who we recently started getting together he's like a bass player guitar player um and um i just want to like have fun with music i had um when i was in germany i i kind of decided that I needed to make music like that I kind of decided music was my only marketable skill Uh and I was like you know I have to figure out how to be like a professional musician and you know at some point I guess it was maybe it was last year I or the year the year before last I was just like yeah I don't think I need to to try to be like a pro musician (laughs) like um i had figured out that i could like do some stuff with video and um you know that i had a knack for that and i something about video work working with video is like musical enough for me to where i feel like i'm still kind of doing music Uh um like there's a rhythmic aspect to it that you know both shooting and editing yeah all feels musical to me so um i don't know i still have songs that i that i do i'm playing a show on the 18th in hamden um and i just i don't know i'm gonna like just 
do shows sometimes um and if a you know if a big musical opportunity comes i i would definitely consider it yeah but you know the type of thing i you know i have to consider my family and stuff like i can't just like jump on the road yeah you know like um like when i was in germany i i you know there was an opportunity to to, to maybe go to australia and like and like in asia and do some tours with um with Shai Halut again uh-huh. but it was like it was like oh but like my daughter's three months old and like if i go away for three months then you know she doesn't remember me like there's no way yeah like not that she could remember much anyway but i there was like a certain you know i was with her like basically every day yeah. and um becca was working so it just kind of like i don't know i chose i chose jane over like australia and japan yeah which seems like i don't know if that was the right decision <laughs> Yeah, I know Jane. I don't know about that yeah. one. Yeah, she's sneaky. <laughs> no, but um, I know like that sort of thing, and I know. So there's part of me that would really love to like do that again and play play at a high level. Yeah. Um, but then there's part of me that's just excited about um, you know, like collaborating with some friends that I know and really doing music as as art and fun, and instead of like trying to make it into like a career or a, a money thing yeah i just like i just don't care like i just have ideas and i want to make them into things and the the like the outcome is only like messing around with it like that's the that's the goal so yeah. just like not not making a marketable product but satisfying an artistic need to finish something that i want to finish yeah so that's kind of like where i want to go with music right now so basically you're saying is we can look for the new omniflow record in 2016 yes <laughs> yes i don't know what i'm going to call myself now actually uh so like my whole creative identity is data laforge uh-huh. or like something um i really love that name but i don't know if that works anymore for for my musical thing yeah because i feel like data laforge is becoming like a more than music thing for me like a like it could be like a film company or something yeah or just the name of my website or i don't know what it is but i don't know if like me playing music is enough to warrant the name data la forge yeah i get that that's kind of the thing i have a numero chair i was a little confused at where to go with it Really? Yeah, and then I was just kind of like, eh, screw it. I guess it's everything. <laughs> yeah, I think you know, it's it's gonna be at least most things. Yeah, for me. But um, I don't. I just won't like insist that people call me Data LaForge <laughs> anymore. Like when I'm playing a coffee house to like twenty people. Yeah, I think that you should go the other way and insist to only be called Data LaForge always. Yeah, with just everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, just in everyday life as well. Like I'm on the phone with like my insurance company, <laughs> and they're like, um, "Mr. Burns, we just like," and I'm like, "Actually, call me Data LaForge." <laughs> <laughs> they're like, uh, "Can you spell that?" <laughs> and you'd tell them, and they'd still get it wrong. Yeah, of course. Um, all right, I feel like that's a solid place to to end. Yeah. Um, all right. So do you wanna you can you can check Ryan out at datalaforge.com actually. That's true. Do some stuff there. 
check out numerochair.com and then come with us on this journey as we continue our paths down this life. All right, God bless. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, man. (laughs) 